Mindfulness Mode 385. Almost all of our limitations out there are quantum projections of unconscious things that we've been hiding from and would rather not look at. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. I love feedback from you, Mindful Tribe, so you can email me anytime, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Let me know what you think of the episode today. Let me know what you think of the show. I always appreciate uh, your views and your thoughts on things, so don't hesitate to, to send me an email. Today, I'm offering 12 must-read mindfulness books, which are the most recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And if you read these books, or even, even a couple of them, it will help you become more calm, focused, and happy, like I always talk about on the show. The top 12 books recommended by guests on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. So I've put together this mini 14-page ebook entitled 12 Must Read Mindfulness Books. And uh, you can get your digital copy now at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. On today's episode, I'm featuring the brilliant author of The Voice Code. This book is a manual to help you reclaim your power from the past and change your world from the inside out. I met John when we were both speaking at the Global Zen Consciousness Conference in Atlanta, and I've talked to him a number of times since then. And I just want to tell you a little bit more about him right now. John Marshall Roberts is an applied behavioral scientist, musician, and an acclaimed expert on visionary leadership. John's been blowing minds for good causes since he released his 2008 book called Igniting Inspiration, a persuasion manual for visionaries. In 2012, he cracked the voice code, which we'll talk about on the show today. And since then, he's been immersed in the challenge of making this discovery accessible while leading a tribe of heretics to change the world from the inside out. Sit back relax. You will definitely enjoy this terrific interview with John Marshall Roberts. Hey, John, are you in mindfulness mode? I'd say so. That's great. That's a good start. John, what does mindfulness mean to you? It means being aware of my breathing. I find that if I'm aware of my breathing, my thinking and my heart are usually coherent and I'm not saying stupid things or doing things I regret. And when I'm not aware of my breathing, the opposite is true. Well, that's very succinct. And I, I like that because, you know, breathing is everything. It really is. And I think it's a huge part of mindfulness. You had a near-death experience. Can you tell us about that? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm yes, digging right in here, John. <laughs> I'm just jumping right in. Good, good. Well, let's just uh, rip the bandage right off. Uh, I did. And although that happens a lot, what's interesting about mine is that I wasn't physically ill. Um, I discovered, if anyone's seen The Matrix, um, I'd ask you to consider that I discovered a map (laughs) using science over 20-something years, which um, I developed tools which allowed me then to actually peel away what you might call the veils of Maya. And actually, um, I, I broke through the walls of the universe and had a, a near-death experience. And you could call it a white light experience if you prefer. I don't want to 
uh, get into semantics, but it has all the similarities to uh, near-death experiences. Before I broke through, I met a really hideous character, right, who was in a sense a death, the belief in death, right? And I just blacked out, and I came to in the light. So everything that is classic in near-death experience from a scientifically derived map um, which basically suggests that death is a belief, right? That we ultimately evolve away from, which would, would lead to what spiritual people sometimes call ascension, right? So the whole thing was logically explainable, but it's still kind of crazy to talk about because it seems so um, improbable. Did this all happen in one day or did it happen over a period of time? It ha- well, that's a good question. It happened in one day, in one moment, and uh, what happened is, that I, so after a lot of years, I found this amazing discovery, a map. I took someone else's developmental psychology system, which I was using. You know, I had a book out, doing well. Um, and, I, and, I, and I put some numbers together, and I was able to decode the uh, natural laws that were governing the data, that explained the data for someone else's research, this developmental stage theory based on natural systems. So it was a very solid uh, piece of research that I was working with. Worked really grounded stuff. But when we decoded that, we were able to sort of complete his um, map, right? And what we found is that the completed map covered from the beginning to the end of time and suggested that the final stage of human psychological maturation was to choose to leave the experience of perception, to choose non-existence. Which, when I discovered that, logically, my mind went, whoa. So the end of this game is to choose to leave it because we always think that you die. But immediately, but that's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you look at the mystics throughout the ages, I mean, they, I mean that was a, really the true message, I think, of Jesus. You know, the, the Christians often focus on him dying, but I think his message was that death isn't real. <laughs> like, see, look, right. I'm back. So this idea of ascension, it all came together, and I was like, I just think I might have found a map to heaven or to God, right? And was this traumatic for you? It was, it was both the best and the worst day of my life when that happened, okay? Because it was like, I, it was like um, suddenly I was li- I'd been living in an igloo my whole life inside of my body, like my mind. And I thought I was a big thinker, but suddenly it was a Taj Mahal. And all the, I had so much room and spaciousness inside, I didn't know what to do. And yet I still had the same igloo-sized habits of communicating and relating to others, right? So it was a kind of awkward, it was awkward, but it was beautiful because the bliss of that, of that knowing, that feeling the connection to whatever that other side is, and having arrived there in such a rigorous scientific way that I, that I knew that it wasn't BS, like I had reached certainty after all those years. So you didn't know what to do, but what did you do? I, I ended up spending two years trying to turn this map, which is really, a, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a logical set of symbols. It's, it's non-linguistic, right? It's a dynamic polarity map of consciousness. Um, I, I had to turn that into actionable tools. See, I was like a business guy helping people do solve real problems, and I wasn't just in it for the theoretical stuff. I left the academic world because they were too um, academic for me and and uh, too conservative in their in their thinking. So I had to turn to tools, but it turned out to be kind of difficult. So um, the two the next two years, this discovery was on July twenty fifth, two thousand twelve. Okay. The next two years were spent frustratedly trying to do that, wrap my head around that until I'd been divorced and uh, I, I'd written thousands of pages that were worthless and I was at my wits end pulling out my hair. Um, but then 
I had this breakthrough and I figured it out about two years into it. And I suddenly had the idea for a course where we could use this cycle that I call the create cycle um, to help people accelerate the achievement of goals. And was this an online course you created? It was an advanced coaching course and in, in kind, kind of a pricey one. Like I do a lot of uh, leadership And how coaching. pricey was it? Well, now that you ask, it was about ten thousand ahead. Okay, well, um, okay. but it's a, it, you know. In, and where did you find the people to take the course? I um, I had a lot of fans, followers, because I had a successful book out, and so the book that you had out was that the Voice Coder was that a previous book? That's called Igniting Inspiration. Okay, that was my first book, and it has the earlier version of what became the Voice Code. Okay, the first version was in 1999 in my master's research at the University of South Florida, so it was there all along, um, in different versions. But when it when it completed as a Voice Code, it had finally been. It was clear that it was done for the first time. So right. what happened is I created this course and I knew it was going to, I just had a knowing that it was going to be powerful or right. else I couldn't have asked that kind of money for it. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and, but I, and so I got people signed up and it's a, um, it's a course that builds momentum based on rhythms, weekly cycles, right? So cyclical learning with a coaching component, right. In a really intense momentum builds. So does it start by the, uh, people, uh, setting their goals. Yes. Is that how it begins. Yeah. People can pick whatever intention that they want to bring, whatever they want to bring to the world. And this process helps them in a sense, you might say recode the matrix, but remove the belief programming, right? That, that, that it can't just show up without effort. And what's interesting is whatever people put down shows up. <laughs> so what happened? Did they achieve their, their goals? Oh yeah. Well, one, one of them, for example, he started off, he was down on his luck and, uh, he was an old friend and he, and he, he was hating his job and he, um, and these are the first people who ever did it. We've refined it over the last few years. It was pretty raw back then because yeah. I didn't understand yet what I, the power of what I was dealing with until the near death experience, which came in week three. But just as an example of one of the clients, yeah, the, the energy was there. It was just a matter of so intense that it's overwhelming, but he wrote down, you know, he had a couple goals that he wrote down. I mean, basically, his whole life turned around. Uh, he 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 was hated his boss. He wanted to leave. Next, thing you know, he was CEO of the company, and the boss was on the out. Right? He he had certain people. He said he wanted to meet, like I uh, love Jimmy Carter, uh, musician David Gray. Right? He was uh, next thing you know, he got invited to go, and he's sitting at a gala next to Jimmy Carter, and he runs into David Gray on the subway. Th- there's a, there's actually a lot more. I'm trying to remember them all, you know. Mm-hmm. But but it's gotten to where now, um, just amazing things are happening. Like I have a client now. He's the most ambitious yet. I said, whatever you put down there is going to happen, right? If, mm-hmm. you, if you do the work. And he tested me. But he's, he's a tough guy. So what are some of his goals? He, he's my client right now. And he, he's, um, he wrote down, uh, he wrote down t- he's going to raise $10 million. He said he's going to have a, a gala in October with Jane Goodall and Leonardo DiCaprio and for an environmental thing, Leonardo DiCaprio and James Cameron and all the very specific can open 10 stores in the U S and at the time when we did it, he didn't have uh, enough money to pay the fee. I, I, I gave him a reduced fee because something in me told me he was powerful enough to like, he was going to be able to. So does he already have some stores and he wants to expand and open more yeah. stores? But here's the interesting thing. Two weeks into the process, Jane Goodall calls him. Right. And he's never talked to her before, but he put he put her down. Right. One thing leads to another. All five goals have been accomplished and we're not even done with the course yet. Oh, wow. Right? The 10 million and, yes. as well. He just called me from James Cameron house last week. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Jane, I mean, he's, it's all happening. You see, we actually have control 
over the world out there, but most of us are afraid to really give ourselves over to that proposition, so we'll never gain the evidence that it's correct because it scares us. Is this about quantum physics? Yes, that's how this whole journey started. I picked up a quantum physics book. And what was the what was the book? And it was called The Conscious Universe okay. by Kafatos and Nado. It was not very readable by, any, you know, it was before the physics thing was popularized, but I was kind of a geek. And um, I really was feeling that psychology didn't have theories that really explained it in a way that made sense to me because it was more to it, right? And I liked Carl Jung, uh, was the guy who I yes. liked first. And he talked, he was kind of from that quantum era where they're talking about integration paradox right. and stuff. Right. But that book I read, The Conscious Universe, just put my mind in a pretzel and, I, and basically said there's no objective reality apart from the observer. And uh, I had always felt that to be true. And ultimately, I was determined, I guess, to find a way to explain that. So, like, my master's research in 98 uh, was, on, was on self-fulfilling interpersonal prophecies and how our unconscious uh, assumptions about people el elicit behaviors that confirm them. So I've, I've often been, you know, kind of dancing with this life is but a dream ditty in one form or another. So it really wasn't a total surprise when I discovered this map that showed me how our mind generates this reality and how we could change it. But... It, because I'd been looking for it my whole life, but it was pretty crazy to follow that map right out of the matrix. <laughs> well, so I have to ask this. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of people, and, and when I interview someone who has the intensity that you have, who has the energy, the power, a lot of times there are places where that brings them down, where they, they either turn to alcohol or they turn to something to try to calm that down at times did you ever have that challenge absolutely absolutely i mean and even more so i mean again when you find out what you're here for at least for me i have a dynamic character in my and my calling is one that's not meant to be always um a, a agreed with i'm kind of provocative and i don't even if i don't want to be you know what i mean because it's mm -hmm. like what I'm telling you, you're either going to think I'm crazy or you're going to be open to it. Right. But I had to learn quickly that, like, you have to carry a lot of energy to do this thing, right? Right. So, so learning to ground that has been a real, real challenge, absolutely. And I eventually had to use this map to figure out, create a new time management system that could help me understand how to do it. So how do you ground yourself? I've got to exercise like a crazy man. Like, I, I basically have to, like, like get this body running like it's kind of like a, a primal animal and what about meditation do you do that every day i have to do both and and i find that that they're both important what does your meditation look like how do you meditate um i actually have a lot of different um modalities that i experiment with you know i'm kind of a collector um at present i'm taking the same course that took me to the white light for the third time right okay. it's a it's like an advanced sort of boot camp you know, it's like um, really uh, building those muscles. Is it TM? Right? No, it's it's a it's a it's a course that I developed from the Voice Code Logic. Now, I don't usually do just straight transcendental meditation. I'd love to get my mantra and give it a try, actually, because I've done mm -hmm. a lot of work with intentional meditations that involve like having you know different um, scripts that people are using and binaural beat audio technology stuff like that um, to try. But I think that floating right through the clouds and just being in that pure silence is starting to seem like it might be a cool uh, cool thing to do. So you mentioned something about your marriage dissolving. Do you now have a partnership with someone else? Are you now in a relationship? 
I am in a really, I'm in a really good relationship. And what's interesting is that it's uh, it's just of a, from a different paradigm than right. relationships as I had understood them before. It's not based on trying to control each other or worried about that. It's almost, um, yeah, it's like a quantum era thing. <laughs> my so entire it, you, my entire life has slipped to a, into a quantum era kind of. So you feel like it's fine for you to be who you are. You don't feel like you have to be different than who you are at any given moment. You know, no, I don't feel like I have to, but if I'm going to be honest with you, I think, you know, as I've become grounded after this crazy story, which I have, which someday I'll be able to talk even more about, mm-hmm. right, which is honestly, like I still get embarrassed a little bit because, and that shows you that it's almost like I was a secret spy on a mission, right? Right. And I'm outing myself now, if that makes sense, about how freaking weird I guess I am. <laughs> But my whole life before that was trying to appear normal. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It, so as not to scare people. Well, now I realize like um, it's not my job to worry about other people's right. reactions. Right. So I have to overcome a lot of inauthentic, sometimes like ways of uh, not not lying outright, but knowing people where they're uncomfortable and trying to avoid that piece. Well, like Wayne you Dyer know? used to say, it's none of your business right. what other people think of you. Right. And so for me, I'm, yeah, I'm letting a lot of that old personality structure melt away um, through practice. And I think there's, it's really fascinating what we find under the carpet when we really look at our social personas, right? And the resistance, at least that I have to being fully on myself, who's a very truthful person. And I find that people actually really like it better when I'm blunt, right? But I've developed a habit sometimes of trying to back off so as not to hurt them. David, I want to go back to when you were eight years old. Was there anything in your life that foreshadowed that this was going to happen? Can you remember an incident? Can you remember a day in your life when you were eight years old that would have given some advance notice that this was going to happen to you and you'd be this author and this great teacher and this great inspiration to others? What an interesting question i like that the thing that comes to mind is is a poem i wrote when i was eight that i i dug up the other day because i moved and i was going through old boxes right and it was just fun to read i was eight years old and i wrote um (laughs) it's embarrassing uh it's called the world is a marble (laughs) the world is a marble spinning round and round in the middle of the universe making not one sound someday i'll fly and see this world like no one has before i'll climb into the atmosphere and then i will explore I'll explore the highest mountains, places far and near. I'll fly throughout the universe having not one fear. And here you are, flying through the universe. And I still have some fears, but I'm challenging them, right? So learning to have the courage to be yourself, right? It does take courage. Learn to give no if people approve of you, but still care for them. That's not an easy thing to learn. No, and I think we each need to figure out what our gift is. And I think I found mine, and, and, and if everything else about me sucks, at least I got that going for me, and that's enough. Does that make sense? That does. And you don't want to know it. It's a weird gift, and not everybody needs it, or, but when they need it, they really need it. Yeah. I have the same gift that, that, that Jesus guy had, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm saying, as I understand him as a person, not as a religious icon, which is that I'll die for others i'll die for all of you you know what i'm saying like i'll take Mm -hmm. the bomb 
Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And I kind of want to. Not in the sense of wanting to die, but more that there's a certain love of sacrifice, a certain willingness to give up everything that you think you are out of love for another human being. You know, like when I lived in New York, 9-11, right? You had people running into the buildings without a thought about their own survival, right? Right. And I go like, I love those guys. You know what I mean? Like, yes. could we all behave with that honor where we stand for others you know i've been in dark nights a lot uh, to get through this point right with ego death is not fun <laughs> yes right. um but but like when the darkest night hits i feel a guide and it's like i you know you want to make yourself feel better and i had this little voice that says why don't you take this issue and stand for all of humanity? And why don't you declare that anyone anywhere who's suffering this way, you know, bring it on, give it to me, right? Let me take the ball kind of energy, right? And what I would find is that my heart would expand and get so big and so filled with this intense love that all personal concerns would melt away. And I would feel like myself for a minute, right? So I really think that when we have, I, I like that in people, Right, and I want to be like that, and I and I love it getting to do that with clients. But more and more, what I want to learn to do is be like that with everybody. To remember to stand for everybody as myself, and be willing to die in any moment for the principles like that. And I think if I can do that, then I don't have to be that likable. I just, you know what I mean? Because the truth is, liking is an opinion based on an ego. Well, let's talk about ego. Yeah, has that been a struggle? Do you struggle with ego? Truth be told, um, not much now, but if I look back honestly at my life before now, I'd, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say there was some narcissistic ego structures that had to be removed, right? And they were well managed. I was very good at managing mm -hmm. impressions, right? I was a professional communication guy, right? Right. And, you know, you get into the core of the ego structure, you find, you find deep shame, sense of worthlessness, right? So, the, and this is all what the voice code technology helps us remove. I mean, let me just go. I mean, I can talk about this stuff because I know everybody, you know, the people who have the worst are the ones who don't look, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's part of taking the bullet, right? Most of these miracle results that we're getting in the world is because we have a fun, relatively fun, adventurous way for people to look at the stuff I'm talking about now without feeling ashamed. Because almost all of our limitations out there are quantum projections of unconscious things that we've been hiding from and would rather not look at, right? So just getting into that. But, but for me, yeah, I have to be willing to be totally open. And I think that truth, the voice code healed probably a a, nar a narcissist yeah i think that's what i was before now i'm just trying to learn how to engage people and moderate the intensity so that uh you know that it doesn't overwhelm them mindful tribe the book is the voice code master your inner game by john marshall roberts you've got to get your hands on this book because after all life's too short to not master your inner game you can do it with the help of this book and with the help of quantum physics as described by john john i want to shift gears here and i want to ask you a question about bullying have you ever been bullied or were you ever a bully do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference and would have changed the way that situation unfolded what comes to mind two two episodes come to mind and um, I'm sure that I was bullied in ways I didn't understand at the time. I certainly have always stuck up for the underdog, right? But I've come to understand that we do a lot with energy that we're not always responsible for, right? So now, so I'm just 
put myself to a pretty radical standard there, right? Um, so there's a lot of that that was there under the surface. But the truth is I was the guy who'd go down the mat. So I remember once I had a job for others, right? And I, and I had this job at a design company. And the woman had a sadistic quality and she would mm. turn on people. You know, so it was mm. kind of like she was nice one day, but she didn't know. Wow. And it's that culture of fear where it can get kind of dark. Yeah. You know, and there was a whole like, you know, there are a lot of girls who get together and have therapy sessions downstairs, right? And so anyway, I confronted her about that in a, in a calm way. And I, I basically said, listen, and I, I wasn't attacking. I was just like, I was like, listen, sometimes you turn and it feels like there's a serial killer in the room and it makes me feel real unsafe. And I got to tell you, you know, and it was interesting. I don't know if mindfulness could help because I think I was mindful in that instance. Right, but it was still an interesting moment because she was all tough and cold but then she got really quiet and i was like what's going on because this woman she's like do you mind if i cry for a minute and then like and then she and then we hugged and all but what and it was like she was vulnerable and there there was such a weak fragile little child underneath that cruelty which is true of all bullies by the way um that it was shocking right it was shocking but what was also interesting was that and then we were really close, you know, the ego struck, you know, we're like best friends again. And then, and then I get fired the week after that. <laughs> what for, was that For about? something that had nothing to do with it. Oh, for right. something totally different. You see what different. I'm saying? Okay, like, so, yeah. so for me trying to get day jobs, I gave up on that. Yeah. Um, I've had, when you tell the truth, it's kind of dangerous business in a world that's built on prem, you know, yes. um, facades, right? Right. Um, and bullies, I think, take advantage of that. Bullies are, I've found that they back down if you can confront them yes. directly. Yes. They're really weak people. So um, the other thing that comes to mind is from the year when I was eight. So maybe okay. you asked that before. There was this guy, Chad, and he was a, he was a bully. Um, and, I, and it's a weird memory because I stood up to him. And I, my brother was older. He's, these people, I don't know why I'm the one. I was a little guy. <laughs> you know, and it's like I stared him down in front of all the people and said, you know, like kind of talked him down, you know. And then, and then like he backed down, right? But then instead of just walking away, I spit in his face and humiliated him. <laughs> and when I, it was funny, it's like I was the bully then. So then you were the I bully. undressed the bully and then I spit in his face and then everybody thought I was cool. But on the way home, I started crying. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe right because so I was a very confused little kid you know yeah, like yeah. I you know like what is that all those emotions right yeah but um it's a great topic the bullying and I think the truth is we bully ourselves absolutely we totally do and I think that's that's the thing if we can identify situations where we were bullied or we bullied others we'll start to understand how we bully ourselves and how to unpeel that so that we can stop doing that. Yeah, and I think if it's worth pointing out, the, the distinction that's been hard one for me is between power and force, right? The big difference is even a book on that. It talks about it. It's a profound difference. And in terms of the voice code model, we talk about one of the key mentors for our badass, you know, great voice, our, our super self, is uh, the, the warrior, but the warrior, the real warrior, mm-hmm. is not a bully. The real warrior is about preserving and protecting innocence uh-huh. in ourselves and others. And that's the warrior that inspires, right, uh, the, the firefighters going into the building, right? right. No, like in the, the model of that warrior is today is a good day to die, right, to anything, mm-hmm. right, that's unloving within me or others, right? Mm-hmm. But it's always about preserving and protecting and then pushing forward the agenda, 
fearlessly, you know, and so that kind of energy, right, of service would never bully. The problem is that we live in a culture which has a very wicked shadow warrior energy. Yes. And in the shadow, the warrior shows up as two characters, but one I call the punisher and the other one's the prisoner. And understand that they are... You can't have one without the other. So when you see uh, someone who acts like the Punisher, that's a bully. You know, there's a bunch of different sub-voices, but basically that's the bully, right? Mm-hmm. Understand that they're actually, um, they have a prisoner deep inside, right? Like right. a passive version of that. Yes. Right? And they're actually trying to project it onto you and turn you into that. So the thing about it is, if you don't play into their projection, then it doesn't stick to you. So what happens they become aware that they are a prisoner of fear and they become afraid of you because you're the one who reflected that. Does that make right. sense? It does. So this is where the nonviolence of Gandhi, right? The non-reactive violence like right. that. Yes. If we don't fire, fight fire with fire, we, the real warrior doesn't respond to what isn't real. And from that point of view, only love is real. So, so when fear comes at, right, there's nothing to react to. Or against, there's a cold, uh, like decisive knowing of the light that lives underneath the fear that's coming at us, right? And a willingness to, like Buddha underneath the tree, right? Don't budge no matter what, right? So stillness and that stare alone creates a field that chases bullies away. I don't know if you can, but you know what I'm saying? There's energies that bullies are tapping into. That's great insight that you're sharing with us. And I think this is fantastic. As we move forward in the interview, John, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. The just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Uh, First answer, it would be Albert Einstein. Okay. He said something. He said a lot of cool things, but he was my first sort of first sort of mentor on my path. What I wanted to be when I grew up is find something cool like he did. And he said um, in a letter to a friend, um, "People like you and me never grow old. We never cease to stare in curious wonder at the profound mystery into which we were born." And that's my main mindfulness has been over my lifetime is as wonder, wonder. It's great not to know. Yes. Right, the magic yes. of wonder, right, is uh, is my main meditation. I think. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? <sighs> so, it's helped me learn to have more decision, um, freedom between stimulus and response, and given absolutely necessary, given the kind of energies I'm playing with now in, in, in my life, right? The mm-hmm. borders I'm pushing. Um, th- so it's helped me uh, not be trigger happy. And uh, that's all right, though. Life has a way of teaching us these lessons. I got punched in the head a bit for mouthing off. My challenge has always been controlling this pie hole, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, know. you know, I've seen you do this several times, but answer this question. How is breathing part of your mindfulness? That was the answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I saw the answer previously. So it's, that's, it's about releasing. Yeah. It's about releasing and remembering. You know, we have a thought. I have any thought, right? A good, bad thought doesn't matter. We often get so caught up in the content of the thought, we don't realize that if, it's, if that thought were a pen, we're squeezing the crap out of that pen. Mm-hmm. So I can hold the pen or I can loosen it, keep it in my palm, or I can drop it. So this muscle of being able to hold with conscious intent the um our thoughts and experiences without clinging and just let them go for a minute 
That's powerful. And I think breathing allows that for me. The exhale is a way to just release my grip on, on the content of my experience. The Voice Code is an awesome book and everybody should get their hands on it. But do you have any other books that you recommend that are related to mindfulness somehow? Good question. You know, the term mindfulness isn't the one I've always used, So, I, I, but as I understand the way you think of it, right, it's really, about, as I understand, really about being present now um, and, and aware of the moment and with a, with a, a loving intention. Yes. Right, to self and the world, to kindness. There's a kind energy I get from it. Yes. And um, I wouldn't say kind. Oh, yeah, I know it. I know it. Uh, Titch, what's his name? Titch not Tan? Tick I, not say, I yes. love him. I can't say his name. Tick not That's Han. a beautiful man. And when I grow up, yes. I want to be a little more like him because he had a kindness about he, him. Absolutely. Just so beautiful. And his book on anger. Yes. Man, cooling the flames or whatever meant right. a lot to me, right? right? By the way, the gateway emotion for the, for the warrior is anger. Uh, but when it's in shadow, you project it. <laughs> but for me, that's been uh, um, something I've had to work. And he just really brought my, he brought mindfulness to. It. He has the energy of mindfulness to me in a way that's yeah. quite um, disarming. Yeah, he he is incredible, absolutely incredible. Do you recommend an app of any kind that can help with mindfulness? Yes, absolutely. There's I, I got to get the name of the actual one. It's it's the I Ching app on my phone. I love that thing. Okay. You know, it's a rant. I don't know if people understand the I Ching, but it's a wonderful way to communicate right with the, uh, with your higher self or, or whatever intelligence operates. Maybe if you believe there's a higher intelligence behind the matrix or whatever, it's a beautiful way to sort of become present because so what you do, I don't know if people know, but basically the I Ching is an ancient Oracle system. You know, you throw these coins and you get this combination, these hexagrams, which are combinations of yin and yang mm -hmm. uh, lines and eat and there's 64 of them. But you know, you ask it questions. So whatever's on your mind, you ask it questions and then you kind of clear your mind, press, you know, on your app, you just press the coins six times, but, um, it generates these amazing responses. And I found that the quality of the responses is consistent with the quality of the question and intention. So even the act of formulating a clear question, right, is a meditation. That's actually quite an art, right? But then asking it with a sincere heart, you, and so you start, it starts to become a dialogue of cause and effect where, because sometimes the I Ching will say, buzz off, kid, you bother me, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a, like a sassy old sage sometimes. It has, it has that cool kind of quality to right, it. Right, right. So it becomes a really cool reflection because sometimes it's hard to see your inner state without an external reflection. And, yes. Yeah. And that one works for me. Oh, that's great. Well, it's been awesome talking with you today. And how can our listeners connect with you? Ah, well, let's see. I guess just go to worldviewthinking.com, right? We have a website there, training courses, all this stuff. But we got to sign up and get signed up for our list. And uh, I guess that's the easiest way, right? Uh, worldviewthinking.com. Okay, get yourself over there. Get the book, The Voice Code, Master Your Inner Game, worldviewthinking.com. Well, it's been great talking. So thanks so much for being on the show and all the very best to you, John. Thank you so much. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash 
whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.